0: The modern city, at its root, is an economic invention. First, it was about getting together where the crops were good. But then the Industrial Revolution came along, drawing people to where the action was, which is to say, where the factories were. But when you bring that many people together and everyone's stuck in their mundane day-to-day, we need ways to let off some steam. That's why, since time immemorial, We've had festivals, these opportunities to dance, to eat, to celebrate together. Even Friedrich Nietzsche, that dour philosopher who wrote about such peppy topics as the abyss and the death of God, believed they were incredibly important. What good is all the art of our works of art, he asked, if we lose that higher art, the art of festivals? But they're more than just parties. City festivals are physical bridges between people and places, these real-world moments of fun that link personal geography with the experiences of a community willing to share its culture. They're showcases for sharing in a diverse way, and because just about every culture has a festival or two at its heart, they're opportunities to see commonalities in others, the good-faith glue that makes something as complex as a city work. It's not as easy as grabbing a keg, getting a liquor license, and letting people go to town, though. When minority groups share themselves and their cultures with a wider group, appropriation becomes a risk, especially when it usually takes big money to make these events happen. Can economic imperatives threaten the whole point of a festival? On this week's episode of City Space, we're heading into the end of the season with a party. We'll talk about city festivals. What makes a good one? What are the challenges And how can they be used to help immigrants settle on both a social and psychological level? After the break, we'll hear from the CEO of one of Canada's largest cultural festivals about what they mean to the urban communities they represent.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Novo Nordisk. For 100 years, Novo Nordisk has been working to help people with chronic diseases live full and healthy lives, driving change for the health of generations to come, with the ultimate goal of a world free from the burden of chronic disease. To learn more, visit NovoNordisk.ca.
0: Mishka Crichton is the CEO of the Toronto Caribbean Carnival, a marquee event in the city that was attended by 1.7 million people just last year. You may know the festival as Carabana, but that's no longer the case. We'll get to that. Here's our conversation. All right. Well, Mishka, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Adrian, for having me. It's always exciting to talk about the carnival.
0: There you go. You know, first things first, before speaking to you, we're calling this Carabana. It's not Carabana, though. What's what's that? I
1: about? would love to tell you about Uh, the name Toronto Caribbean Carnival or Toronto Carnival for short. So pretty much about approximately 15 years ago, the licensing rights to use the name Carabana by the people who trademarked it was sold to a person or persons that are outside of our community. So they are not of a Caribbean or black descent and they have the license to use the name from here until um, the end of time. And they use it quite well. They sell hotel packages and events that take place during that same time. Um, They even kind of elude like they are putting on the carnival events, but they really don't. And all the money that anybody spends um, to Carabana specifically, it doesn't go to the community. It doesn't go to the festival. So it really hurts us if we continue to use the name um, Carabana.
0: I, I had no idea. That's uh, that's quite the remarkable story. So we'll, we'll come back to those kinds of questions because I think that does align with what we're interested in around festivals and and who they're for. Cool. Um, but then, you know, just asking about your own personal connection. You know, what was your personal connection to what was, I guess, Carabana?
1: I, I always tell people that my parents didn't have to get on a plane to show me Pieces of my culture to show me my roots, to let me be around other people who also understood it um, and valued it too. And that was really based in this Toronto Carnival Festival. I've been in this parade since I was four years old. I've jumped down the road on University Avenue. My mom had to make miniature versions of the adult costumes because she wanted us to be a part of it. She wanted us to enjoy it the same way she did. And she also wanted us to know who who we are and where we came from. And I can't say enough how important it is for young people to know about their culture and their background in this beautiful, diverse city that we live in, Toronto, I'm the CEO of the carnival, and I don't know how else to explain that to people other than thinking about a four-year-old jumping up on this parade, being so proud of what my community does and what they offer to this city, and to grow up and want to contribute back to it, and then to eventually be seated as the CEO. Like That is the opportunity that this affords our young people and people like me, that I can grow up to be um, a woman in my late 30s, and feel confident about who I am and where I came from and what I represent. And the more you know who you are and where you come from, I mean, that the sky's the limit for people, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds to me like it, it all felt really natural. Like your understanding of being a Caribbean, but also being a Caribbean Canadian, the festival allowed you to just get it through osmosis rather than having to sort of come back to it later, which I think a lot of second generation kids do.
1: Um, you're giving me chills when you're saying that, Adrian, because. I've been brought up to a couple of people recently that throughout my life and in in pursuit of excellence, period, in anything that you do, I know that people say, if you spend 10,000 hours on something, you become a master at it, right? You, you're an expert at it. And I've gone through my life and been like, you know, what's what am I going to master? What am I going to put this 10,000 hour? How am I going to spend my time as I grow and get older? Only to come to this realization, like a couple years ago, that I've spent way more than 10,000 hours in this carnival. I've been on this parade route for 30-something years. I've seen it change. I can't tell you how many times. I've seen the way costumes and masks has evolved over the years. So my mother's from St. Vincent. I don't know Vincy carnival you know in the same way that i know toronto carnival i've been to trinidad carnival yeah a few times and i love it this carnival is so special and it's also very unique to toronto it is not like the other carnivals it's in the most diverse city in the world the immigration that we have here and the opportunities to represent our piece of that pie it's so important because I mean I live here, you live here, we love it, I think yeah
0: <laughs> what about new Canadians? I mean specifically I think new new Canadians from the Caribbean what is their reaction when they come to carnival?
1: Everybody knows what it feels like when you feel comfortable you know it is hard for us to understand as people who have lived here their whole lives that when somebody comes and they're new, they're wearing the lens of new so what they experience and see um sometimes we're numb to it um their experience is much harder they you know racism is something that is still prevalent um in north america in america we see it all the time and even in canada too when caribbean newcomers come here they feel like they found their family the carnival is all about celebrating the uniqueness of each person and individual and culture, but also about the love of all of it together.
0: One of the things that seems, and you said this before, but one of the things that seems really unique about Toronto's carnival, it really is beyond just the Caribbean community or Caribbean Canadian community. And that can be a strength. I think you've talked a lot about how that can really be a strength in terms of people opening their minds to something that they may not have experienced before. But can that also be a challenge? Are there ways in which non-Caribbean Canadians being involved in carnival make it a challenge for you as a as an organizer?
1: That's such a great um, question. We feel very passionate that you know this carnival belongs to the community, and I do mean outside of the Caribbean community, the broader Toronto community, and and further than that. But at the same time, um, the Caribbean community needs to kind of be the gatekeeper for this cultural piece that we have, because it's not just um, fun. It's a representation also of what we've been through and what we've overcome. Carnival is linked to freedom from slavery. It's about our emancipation. And even more specifically, something I love to tell people is, you know, people wonder, why is it a parade? Like, what is this idea of parade? And it's because when my people were enslaved, they couldn't move through the streets, we couldn't celebrate, we couldn't um, be joyful with each other and be seen. So you know, with emancipation came this need to move through the streets, to take up space. And that is really what it represents. Mm-hmm.
0: So it really is. I mean, a lot of festivals are like this. It, it is education and partying, right? It is It is finding a, a balance between those two things, right? How you, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how do you do that? How do you make sure the education piece isn't lost, but also while the partying is happening, you know what the origins are, the what the the reasons for all this is is, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the party aspect is the easy one in a weird sense. Uh, People want to celebrate the education piece that has to be way more deliberate. And we've spent so much time over the last few months planning. We've actually launched a pilot program with TDSB in which we go into schools. um, They learn about the culture, the emancipation, the slavery and, and where that comes from. And they also get to dance and move with the music and understand the the different elements that go into carnival. Because it isn't just party, you know, there's steel pan, there's calypso, um, there's costumes, and then there's obviously this history. But for me, when I saw children of all different backgrounds, wearing costumes, smiling and laughing with each other, at first I thought, wow, what is it doing for the Caribbean children? to see this, to be a part of this, like my, my heart, I was thinking about myself as a little girl. Um, and then I thought, what is it doing for the other kids to engage in that culture with their friend? Like, I don't know if people understand what inclusivity really means, but that is inclusivity sharing in each other's cultures and, and enjoying in them together. But, um, there's a whole group of children right now, their cultures aren't represented in schools. I see Chinese New Year being celebrated. I see Diwali. I see Ramadan. Um, But there's also a group of kids, I was one of them, who we don't fit into any of those. Um, So bringing up the carnival is an extremely important piece about our legacy and about the youth that we're raising now, who will know who they are and where they came from.
0: I wanted to just jump back uh, to the idea of uh, you know, sort of authenticity challenges. And I, and I bring that up again to to go back to what you were talking about before, which is that group that acquired the Carabana name. Uh, you know, to me, that sort of seems like a such a microcosm of the authenticity question. This is a group that is not from within the community, literally taking over a, a fundamental <laughs> part of the thing. How, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, at the time, even how did you deal with that kind of thing?
1: You know, This is something that has been known internally for a long time. But um, over the years, I think the general consensus towards it was just, you know, we'll stay quiet on this topic. But we have a new board, a new chair, Jennifer Herlihy. And we want people to know, we want to be really transparent about um, the carnival, financial situations, um, the name, all in all, um, we really believe that if an organization is doing something to um, target or reach out to the Caribbean community that they should be starting with the Toronto Caribbean Carnival. And we've seen that already with some of our sponsors that have come on board, organizations that value what we do for the city, but more importantly, they value um, authenticity and, and they don't want to do something without our direction and help. They're very conscious of the fact that um, we are the leaders in Canada, you know, for all things Carnival and Caribbean. Right. So I, I just a little shout out to our sponsors, how much we appreciate these events and these organizations that are truly trying to represent the Caribbean community in an authentic um, mm-hmm. and pure way.
0: I think a lot of cultural festivals have this kind of problem, right? This authenticity question and often authenticity challenges about the community. I don't think this is unique to the to the Caribbean community, but I think you guys had a a really extreme uh, expression of this. So you know what are your thoughts about how to ba- again, it's it's that sort of balance question, right? I mean, with financial upside comes a lot of folks who might not have the community's best interests at heart, who might want to take uh, the spirit of a festival and turn it to something else. and And, and so, how do you defend against that?
1: I think one of the best ways that we defend against it is just to continue being a positive leader in the diversity and inclusivity space as a Caribbean organization. And it comes across in the messaging and the way that we represent it that um, it's not for sale. It's not something that we are doing for money. We're also defending it by making sure that we are doing a good job of showcasing our culture. you know, I think we're doing a great job teaching people, moving in a direction of showing them that this thing represents way more than just a party. And in doing that, um, that already creates some kind of a defense against it too.
0: After the break, we'll speak with a researcher who studied how festivals help foster a psychological sense of community for immigrants and how cultural festivals can avoid promoting stereotypes just for the sake of entertainment.
1: Since the beginning of our company, Novo Nordisk, 100 years ago, we have been working to help people with chronic diseases live full and healthy lives. And while people today are living longer than ever before, rising rates of obesity and diabetes threaten the health and prosperity of future generations. Together with our partners, we are going beyond medicine to strengthen disease prevention and early intervention, driving change for the health of generations to come with the ultimate goal of a world free from the burden of chronic disease. To learn more, visit NovoNordisk.ca.
0: Trudy Walters may have grown up on a farm, never really going to events as a child, but much of her expertise today is around events, like festivals, and how they can make cities better. She's an adjunct associate professor at Lincoln University near Christchurch, New Zealand, and she co-authored a paper about how festivals can help or harm marginalized groups. Here's our conversation. Well, Trudy, thanks for joining us today.
2: You're welcome. Great to be here.
0: Well, I I wanted to start uh, maybe more personal, which is to say, you know, what is your connection, you know, with city festivals?
2: So I'm a leisure and events researcher. I've been doing that for probably about eight years now. And looking at things beyond just the economic impact. What's the big deal about events? Why are they important? Why should cities care? Why should they have a range of different event types? And being a strong advocate for uh, diversity and inclusion, that's the kind of the angle that I'm coming from.
0: In the paper you co-wrote, you talk a lot about how festivals help folks develop a psychological sense of community. Can you just explain a little bit more what you mean by that?
2: So a psychological sense of community is made up of lots of different components. So the end result really is a feeling that you belong, you know, somewhere that you feel comfortable. And the psychological sense of community is made up of things like um, having a common memory or shared experiences. With the example of ethnic minority migrants, they already have that They are from the same place. They can use the same language. They get the same in-jokes. They recognize each other by dress often. Then you've got those shared memories as well. That can be like a cultural memory or it could be your own individual memory. That kind of captures it, I think.
0: So walk me through that paper a little bit. What was your research looking at and what were the findings?
2: So, our paper was looking at the New Beginnings Festival, which is held in Sydney. It's run by Settlement Services International and it's a huge, uh, inclusive, multicultural festival. So, we looked at it from, uh, we, we took a psychology standpoint and, or a community psychology standpoint. And what we found was a little bit like layers of an onion. And at the very core of that, is when you are with people who are the same ethnic group as you, that's what we call the ethnic layer of the onion. And you're, you've you got that psychological sense of community. Whether you know these people or not, you already have that, that very strong sense of sharing experiences and sharing cultures. The next layer of the onion on the outside is a wee bit thinner and that is a psychological sense of community or a, a sense of community that you might have with other migrant groups. So not the same ethnic community as you, but you still recognise them as having some of those shared experiences as you because they've come from somewhere else to the place where you are. Um, they have still probably faced a lot of the same challenges as you have uh, and had those same experiences without being of your same ethnic group. And then the third layer of that onion is the mainstream community. The dominant group, which in Australia um, is the white po- population, if they go to a festival, you might, as an ethnic minority or migrant or refugee person, you might you know, get to talk to them, you might get to share your, your music, your culture, your food, um, your way of life, your stories, your experiences. And so in that way... The theory goes that you might build some tolerance, overcome racism uh, within the wider community. So there's three layers of the onion of of the sense of community that we found that this event helped to contribute to. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to talk a little more about that that second layer of the Enya, which is that that psychological sense of community for for migrants. Uh, mm-hmm. Why why is that? You know, we we look at th- we're looking at things through the prism of a city, and a city is made up of so many different uh, folks, often from many different places. So mm-hmm. why is that psychological sense of community that comes from events uh, important for the community at large?
2: Um, so for the migrant community depending on how the event is run, it just gives them an opportunity to be in a safe space together. Often if you're an ethnic minority migrant or a refugee, you face a lot of racism and discrimination. You might avoid certain places because you don't feel safe there, either physically or psychologically. So if you hold an event in a place um, you're creating a safe space for them so they can come together, they can see other people, as I said, not necessarily from their ethnic group, but still recognise them as being migrants and you've still got that shared experience of coming to a new land, usually having to learn a new language, um, you know, try and integrate into a community that may or may not be particularly welcoming. So having an event that, brings people together around that shared purpose, is good for community building for ethnic minority migrants. In terms of the wider community, there is some debate about how useful that is. Um, It depends on how the event is organised, what the purpose of it is. Um, if it's just a, I guess, a cultural show and tell. So, oh, look, here's our food. And and in the media, it's represented as, oh, it's bright and colourful. Um, You know, that's just really reinforcing the stereotypes that are already out there, and it doesn't really add anything. But I think in terms of multicultural festivals that the city might run, so the city might fund them or might host them or a combination of both, it's just another another event that caters to a particular segment of society. So you don't just have all sports events in a calendar year. You know, you have cultural events, you have music events, you have arts events, you have multicultural events. It's like food. You don't just eat cheese all of your life. You'd get really bored. Not everybody likes cheese. And so you have bread and condiments and, you know, all the other types of food. So it's the same with an event portfolio For a city, they need to be mindful of what they're funding, what they're hosting, and try and cater for as much of their population as they can because it's um, usually held in a public space and it's usually funded with public money.
0: Well, as you flick to uh, just now, I mean – these kinds of events can be a sort of tricky balance to organize. There are, uh, as you pointed out in your research, you know, critics of cultural festivals that say, you know, this communi- this its the commodification of otherness. I think I think you wrote and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, where where minority cultures are sort of seen as other and and in some ways packaged as other. Um, mm-hmm. So so what can festivals do to you know mitigate if not avoid that kind of a thing?
2: It's really important for. The event organizes to speak to the community and not just assume that, you know, if it's an Indian community, that Indian culture is more than just butter chicken and, um, and Punjabi dance. There is a lot more to it. So if you have, if you speak to the community, if you ask them how they want to be represented, what's important to them, have them on the organising committee and listen to them. So bring their voices into the organising. Then you probably stand a better chance um, of be, you know having having a less stereotypical and commodified festival. The other thing that's really important to do is to think about how it's represented in the media. So the media are crucial in this. Uh, I've done some work with colleagues in Scotland on the Govan Hill. Uh, international festival, and it's a very similar situation. This is an explicitly anti-racist festival. It's held in a a marginalised area. It's very stigmatised. There's um, you know, there's something like over eighty different languages are spoken in this this small suburb. Uh, it's quite poor. It is often represented as having a lot of crime. So this festival's been going for a few years with the aim of building tolerance and and smashing racism, really. Um, but the way that it's portrayed in the media is still very, oh, it's colourful, it's bright, you can go along and eat some food. They're not telling the stories of the people and why this festival is important. So they don't talk about the genesis of the festival uh, in any meaningful way. So if you have ethnic minority migrants and refugees on your Organising committee, if you're asking the community whether they want the festival, how they want it to be run, what they want shown and portrayed, and then the publicity side of that, the media side of that, telling those stories that you want to be told
0: are are festivals that are you know planned that way or festivals that are depicted that way actually kind of net worse uh, as far as outcomes go?
2: No, I don't know that they'd be net worse. They certainly aren't better, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're just running the, the stereotypes. Um, I don't think you're really adding anything to the conversation, which then begs the question, why are you holding the festival? If it's just a, you know, an entertainment focus and a nice thing for, for the white folks of town to do, then I don't think you're really adding very much.
0: Uh, wh- I mean, what are the things that sort of stand out to you as issues that you've seen, I guess, you know, again, as as uh, you know, if you are attending these uh, events as a, a critical observer?
2: So I attended a Diwali festival. Uh, here in New Zealand. And one of the things I noticed was there wasn't an awful lot of advertising for the event. They said that it was not just for the Indian community or the Hindu community. It was for everybody in this, in this small city. Uh, but if you don't advertise it, if it's just word of mouth, it makes it difficult to, you know, include people. It was also held in a stadium, which Immediately creates a barrier for people wanting to enter. When they come in through the doors, they're not sure what to expect. And there was between that and other multicultural events or ethnic culture events that I've attended. You know, there's very little in the way of education or storytelling about this is what, why this event is significant to this culture or this religious group. I attended a holy festival, which is the Festival of Colour. Um, There was nothing there to indicate anything other than it was a fun event. Uh, You wouldn't have necessarily even known that it was an Indian event. Lots of people came from the city who were, you know, the, the dominant white population, but they didn't really understand why they were there. And I think, you know, that's a real missed opportunity if you're looking to build these these links between more marginalized groups and the dominant culture. What you're really wanting to do is foster those interactions and get those stories across about why this is an important event or an important day or an important season.
0: Is there is there a festival that you sort of point to as a model that is maybe not doing everything right, but is uh, certainly working in that direction?
2: Uh, so the New Beginnings Festival in Sydney, Australia, the research that we've done with that has shown that because they've created this safe space for people to go right in the middle of Sydney, which is not typically a safe place for ethnic minority migrants and and refugees to go. So they create this safe space. Uh, They have created an atmosphere where people want to be. They can share their culture. They can share their stories of migrating to Australia um, and what we found going back to that three layers of the onion again was that people made connections at that event, both with others from their same ethnic group and with other migrants and occasionally with, uh, you know, the, the dominant white Australian or Sydney population. But what we found was those networks then enabled them to feel a bit more integrated with the community. So, some of them volunteered at the festival and that was a really good experience for them because a lot of people struggle to get work experience when they first come, you know, when they first migrate to a country. So this was a way of doing that. And their volunteering experience then led to, uh, in, in some cases, where they were able to use those networks to get a job or to get more work experience. So it wasn't just about them feeling a sense of community. It was also about them reaching out to that wider community and getting skills and experience and knowledge and connections that then helped them to integrate better as well.
0: And that's a wrap for Season 3 of City Space. Our show is produced by Julia De johnston and Kyle Fulton. Our theme song is by Andrew Austin. Our executive producers are Kieran Rana and Alicia Sonny. Thanks to Mishka and Trudy for joining us today. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and tell your favorite city dweller about city space, too. I'm Adrian Lee. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon.